Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Rail Talk with me, Michelle Craven Faulkner. And as you hopefully know by now, I am a partner at Shoe Smith and also the National Rail Lead here as well. I'm thrilled today to be joined by not one, but two very special guests. Um, and we're going to talk today about EDI in rail and, and kind of in wider society. So first up, I have got my colleague, Michael Briggs. Michael, do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Hi, Michelle. Yes, thank you for the invitation. Um, yeah, I'm Michael Briggs. I'm an employment partner within Shoesmiths. Um, but one of my other roles within the firm is chair of our proud network and that's our network for our lgbt plus community and its allies thank you very much michael and then we have tracy barber now tracy i am going to say your title just because it's it's probably going to fill about five minutes of airspace to be perfectly honest so uh, tracy is the senior employee experience business partner and edi lead at lner thank you very much for having me michelle it's lovely to be here with you both Fantastic. So, as I've just said, we're going to talk about EDI in rail today. So I thought I'd start off with a relatively easy question to you both. Um, Do we have an inclusive sector? Statistically, no. I mean, it's an interesting one because I, I worked out the other day that come the 4th of January next year, I've worked in rail for 25 years. Oh, wow. And, um... I think it has changed a lot in that time. Needless to say, when I first started, if you think it's bad now, yeah, <laughs> what it was like twenty-five years ago. But um, yeah, so we're not inclusive. No, so I've been in rail between ten and eleven years. Um, first business I joined was I was the only female on depot, um, so I saw it firsthand how non-inclusive. Yeah. Um, that business in particular was but statistically as an industry no we're not inclusive we are less than 20 percent female which when you consider this 46 percent of the population is female in the labor market so mm. no we're not doing great there and ethnic minorities we are less than 10 percent and again in the labor market we're looking around about 20 25 percent of ethnic minorities in the labor market so if we look at it from a statistic point of view no we're not inclusive crikey very much so. That does surprise me, yeah. actually. So here's me wandering around thinking that actually we're not doing too badly when I compare it to, to what it was like when I first started. But actually, it's it's not great. How do you think that compares with other sectors, Michael, especially sectors of this type? I suppose um, from a very industrial perspective, mm-hmm. um, very similar, I mm-hmm. would have thought. So those with those industries that are often unionized um, or union backed, you do send, you do tend to see um, low kind of um, inclusivity levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on sectors, depends on the employer as well mm-hmm. um, and the, the values that certain employers have to make the industry or the employer inclusive and welcoming to all. Yeah, I've got to agree with that. So it's a LNER and from a, a rail business, they are 43% female. So we are doing some really, really good stuff. Um, ethnic minority, we're around about 9%. So we've got a lot more work that we need to be doing about attracting um, ethnic minorities um, to, to the business. And also to we in the legal sector yeah. as well. So from, a, from an ethnic minority perspective, um, the legal industry is still low in that respect, yeah. but... 
from a female perspective, we have a much higher proportion mm-hmm. of females within the yeah. legal sector. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do we need to do then? Why aren't we inclusive and diverse? Well, a lot of people will say it's the attraction piece, and I've got to disagree with that. So if I use some statistics again from LNER, because I, I get um, to view those on a mm. monthly basis, we have no issues attracting females or ethnic minority background applicants. What we do find is that that, that percentage that apply <clears throat> transferred to the percentage we actually hire, there is a big difference. Now, personally, I think a lot of that is because of the assessments that we have to put them through from industry standard to the psychometric assessment, for example, for train drivers. Pass rate for that is 20%. And then if you go down in that 20%, if I remember rightly, one in five of the 20% is female, one in five of the 20% is ethnic minority. So it's really, really low. There's a lot of good work being done on the psychometric assessments, though, at the moment. These are... RSSB, I believe, are looking to see whether or not there's changes that need to be made there. But until we look at those unconscious biases that are built into this assessment, we're never going to get people past that assessment stage, unfortunately. Yeah, and a lot of neurodiversity neurodiversity Mm -hmm. aspects are being built into recruitment now. We have Mm. built all that into our own um, recruitment practices um, at Shoesmiths and also going out to different parts of cities etc to mm. attract new applicants mm. as well so but from our perspective going into early school mm. um age is really important to attract additional people into the legal mm. sector so i imagine it's exactly the same as your industry jc yep. you have to start looking at early years and that's a really interesting point isn't it because when we talk about edi we 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 probably talk about kind of the main pillars of it as we'd see it so whether it's gender whether it's race whether it's physical ability you know that those kind of headings whereas actually i personally see leveling up being included in there and that social mobility piece yes yeah as well yeah um and and that's why I think it's so important, exactly as you say, that going out to schools, that not not you know making people see that that rail or the legal profession yeah. are careers for everybody, Absolutely. and also the challenge that I think that rail has is that if you stop people in the street and ask them what they think the rail sector is, they they will probably have quite a narrow view of it. It's that old man, old white male, usually around about fifty fifty five. Head to toe in orange, working at night time, boots on the ground, shoveling ballast. That is the general view of it. Or it's the person driving the train and the people taking the tickets. You won't get that holistic view as to what the rail industry Mm -hmm. is. Absolutely. I completely agree because, like you say, Michelle, I'm typically a customer in the rail industry. Um, Travelled down here to London last night. And, yeah, typically what I see is a white male um, train driver mm-hmm. or um, someone collecting tickets, taking mm-hmm. tickets. But um, from how the industry has changed, um, it is nice to see more diversity on the rail. Um, and also what I see is also certain celebrations mm-hmm. um, of events, days, um, weeks, months, etc. Um, whether it's a pin badge or otherwise flying the rainbow flag, um, you do see that diversity nowadays mm-hmm. um, as a customer a lot more so than we did before. Yeah. 
absolutely. It's um, I think it's really interesting when I, I used to be a governor of a school and they, you know, when I'd kind of say to kids, well, I'm a lawyer, but I'm a lawyer within the rail industry. They found that very strange, you know, or when you say, but you could be an accountant, you could be a yeah. programmer, you could be, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. They they need HR people. They need accountants. They need they project managers. They need your marketing people. Yeah. We even need the railway chaplains, these, these, the journalists. There's so many roles. We won't go into railway chaplains too much. There is so many different roles within industry. And I'm quite kicking myself a little bit at the moment. Of, uh, probably around about five, six years ago, I started a concept called Rail Human Library. And we trialled it at Georgia, who's my eldest daughter, at her high school. Sorry, no, it was when Grace was at high school, not Georgia. Losing track of time. Um <laughs> And I managed to get 25 people from the rail industry, from all different jobs, to come in and sit to 100 kids. We'd done them this multiple choice question, including, have you ever considered a job in rail? Do you know how diverse the roles are in rail? And also the kids were like, nope, never considered it. Nope, didn't. not really interested in what roles are in there. And when they sat and did this mini speed dating with all these different people mm-hmm. and learned about their careers, 60% of those kids came back and said, I'd now look at rail because yeah. I didn't know I could go into marketing in rail. Mike Roberts, I mean, we all love him. He was there. There was one young lady who loved religious education. She went, I don't know why I'm here. Why I'm here? I went, go and speak to Mike. He will tell you how important chaplains are in this rail industry. So there literally is a job for everybody in the industry. And it's such a wide industry as well, isn't it? I, the first time I learned about rolling stock, (laughs) as one of my clients in that particular industry. So we're all learning about the rail Mm -hmm. industry understanding how wide it really is all the time so yeah i hope there are jobs for everybody and i'm sure there are which then actually when when you think of the breadth of the amount of jobs that there are on the railway it makes those stats even more stark yes to be honest yeah because it is such a broad range of jobs that are out there yet yet from a case of attracting talent in we're clearly struggling somehow I don't think it's the attraction piece. I really don't. So it's, ha, We collate um, applicant numbers based on the ONS, mm-hmm. the, the Office of National Statistics, and we'll look at King's Cross, for example, and they've got an, an ethnic minority, and I'm getting this off the top of my head, say roughly about 46%. We're getting around about 50% applicants from ethnic minorities in King's Cross for roles in King's Cross. They're applying for it, but it's not transferring down to hires. So that's, a, it could be a, a manner of different things. It could be our interview panels, which I'm in the process of jivvying up a little bit. I've gone in a couple of interviews now just to, to see how we interview. It could be the um, recruitment selection process. So there's questions they have to answer via the, the website first that are all phased into the psychometric and then the psychometric assessment. So all those are potentially hurdles for people and especially people that don't have English as their first language, mm-hmm. which becomes quite a difficulty for train drivers, for example, because they have to converse yeah. in clear spoken English. Yeah. So what do we do? I mean, obviously, you've given an idea of the kind of things that, that LNER are doing. I mean, I think I think it's quite interesting when you mentioned about the unconscious bias, yeah. because I remember we first did our internal training about two years ago, didn't we? And And... I was shocked yeah. to recognise and acknowledge that I clearly have unconscious bias. We all do. We all with, do. With, Absolutely. With the best interests, you know. Oh, I won't ask that person if they want to do this job because it's going to be really high pressured and it's going to take lots of hours and I know that they've got a young family at home. Yeah. 
things like that, you know, or I won't give that person that job because I know that they're busy elsewhere and they might not, that kind of thing that makes you kind of go, oh, that was all me being in the best interest of the person, but I'm actually refusing that person the opportunity to do something. Um, so, so yeah, it's interesting when you say about the interview panels and it, it's very much, uh, and it's not just LNER, it's across the industry. In fact, it's probably across every recruitment practice in every industry in the country. People hire people who have look like them or remind them of them. And, and that is just a natural thing. And despite guidelines for not yeah. doing that yeah, as well. Absolutely. Clearly stated. Yeah. You you go into an interview, you click straight away with, with the, the, the person you're interviewing. Sometimes you don't even realise, but once you've offered them a job and you look back, you go, actually, it is a, a mini me that I'm bringing in. And as much as that, that click has happened and that relationship's built very quickly, you still need to make sure you're giving the right person the job on ability not on the way they communicate with you because not everybody interviews well mm-hmm. at all mm. so michael in terms of the stuff that you're seeing are you getting involved with many clients in any sector when it comes to kind of looking at edi policies and and all the stuff that tracy's been mentioning yeah, i think because of my background in all things associated with edi, EDI um as an individual within this firm mm. um become quite recognized through my clients and therefore asked to go into them to do specific training for them as well. Um, One of them recently wanted me to go in and shock them basically on all things LGBT plus um, because their industry is typically white, male Mm -hmm. and of a certain age Mm -hmm. and they were finding that there clearly wasn't an inclusive practice and they were struggling to recruit people from different backgrounds. But there was a particular focus on the LGBT plus community because they just didn't have really anybody that was open or felt free and genuinely free to be themselves and be their true selves at work. And that was seen from the HR department, but it wouldn't necessarily have been seen by the executive team at the top. So it was very much shock treatment going in and educating senior executives of the LGBT plus community and where it exists, talking terminology, um, because did they know what somebody of a bisexual um, identity was all about? Did they, what's non-binary? Mm-hmm. So really going into the organisation and having a bit of shock treatment, statistics flown here, there and everywhere, but all with good intentions to say, actually, you've got to have a diverse organisation, clearly not just from an LGBT plus perspective, but a diverse organisation. But more importantly, your organisation has to be inclusive. And there's so many elements to this you talk about allyship you talk about intersectionality and the list goes on but you've got to start with the learning to ensure that there's opportunity for all within the organization itself i mean i'm kind of sitting here frowning at you while you're saying this and i apologize for that i'm not frowning at you but i'm, I'm kind of there's a couple of things i want to say first guy I, I must just point out to anybody listening to this that we are recording this in 2023 that's why i'm yeah. frowning because i find 
the fact that we're having to have these kind of conversations yes. still. But then collectively, the three of us on separate occasions have had conversations just about this training piece mm -hmm. and about the fact that there are, you know, there will inevitably be certain people in our organisation who don't speak out or don't say things. And a lot of the time it's through their own fear for not wanting yeah. to say yeah. the wrong thing, not wanting to kind of put their foot in it. Not in, And it's that whole kind of, that people would rather you try and yes. to ignore them yeah. and to ignore their plight or to not kind of get to to know them and, and what they're about. I think as, as an ally in particular, it's that question, do I call it out or do I call it in? Mm -hmm. Now, call it out, you stand there and say, no, that's not right. When it yeah. happens, calling it in is just as important. Mm -hmm. Pulling the person to one side and saying, do you realise how you just upset mm -hmm. such a body? And I think that that's something myself and, and um, my number two, a, a guy called Craig, always put in our um, induction piece. LNER have a, a being you at LNER, which Craig and I advertise as much as we can. I actually have it on a badge around my neck and on my lanyard. Um, and it is all about giving people that passion and the empowerment to be themselves, bring their whole selves to work, but then asking allies as well to call it out or call it in, mm -hmm. both of which are, are extremely important. Yeah, allies, so, so important. Yes. So I remember setting up our Proud Network nearly five years ago um, for our LGBT plus community, but within that definition of plus is our allies. We yeah. have to have that across all of our um, networks. I'm an ally to our balance network, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah. So each of the networks have to rely upon their allies as well, like you say, to either call it out or call it in. Um, and we had our annual people conference last week for clients and contacts. And I was asked to do a session actually on allyship. Um, great session, but again, ask the audience, do they yeah. know what allyship is? Who is an ally? Simple questions for you and I around mm -hmm. this table have particular interests in EDI. But... It's still about educating. It's still yeah. about educating the HR community. Yeah. It's educating yeah. the EDI community yeah. um, still. Um, and even off the back of that, I've been asked to go into one of our contacts, wider organisations, to rerun the session for the executive mm -hmm. team because it needs to be led from the top or particularly Absolutely. understood yeah. from it's not something that's just driven by your HR teams or your people okay. team. No, it's exec level buy-in. It's top down and then it's also bottom up. So we need the front line telling us what, what needs to change. We need the exec team buying in and then meeting in the middle and going, okay, this is what you're telling us. We'll take it away and this is what we've done to change it for you. Yeah. You can have a policy, but if it's not enforced yeah. and if it's not, it's, if it's not lived and breathed. And I mean, actually, I think for me, part of this is that it's a sad reflection on society that we are actually still having to do this in organisations. Yeah. You know, for exactly the reason that I just said, like, oh my goodness, we are recording this in 2023. Why are you having to do this sort yeah. of training? I thought we were a lot better generally in society at this kind of thing. Um, you know, as Tracy knows for well, you know, my, my religious beliefs are to be excellent to each other. Let's worship at the yeah. church of Bill and Ted, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are other phrases that, that you could use, but it, you know, it does go back to that treat everybody as you would want to be treated yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You know, the, the, these are not new principles. No. Um, and, and actually you will see that there is 
everybody now is a lot more open when it comes to observing different faiths religious celebrations we're a lot better versed now in those and i think that we feel for those of us that aren't involved in different faiths we feel a lot more free using that term to be able to go to somebody and say please explain to me about what you know what is this about i want to understand it you know but but i still think when looking at lgbt plus that that is an area where i think there is still some confusion and there are people who don't want to put their foot in it yeah um, but yeah, it's, it's baffling. It's really quite baffling to me, but it's interesting the point that you make about allies, mm-hmm. because I think that that is really, really important because otherwise, and this is something that we've had posed back to us before when we've spoken about EDI is whether inclusivity leads to exclusion. Ex- yeah. Yeah. And, and and this is the thing, if you don't open up various groups to allies, then it does become that closed shop. You can have a clique, can't you? Yeah. So or a range of cliques. You've got your LGBTQ plus clique, you've got your your um like your gender yep. balance clique, yeah. which is typically female only. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then obviously you've got your faith, religion. Except mm-hmm. the list goes on, whether it's an ability clique, it's yeah. a your mental health awareness clique. Yeah. But the networks are obviously not intended for that purpose by any means whatsoever. And that's why it's so important to have a thread through your yeah. networks as well, like joint objectives. Um, you've got to have that common theme. What is the purpose of your networks? Yeah. Because you... You absolutely don't want inclusivity to lead to exclusivity. Um, acknowledging that it can changes the way you approach your networks, for instance. So, elephant in the room. Okay. Go on. So. I looked around then. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we look on the GBRTT webpage, okay, uh, on the EDI piece, yeah, it talks about rails. EDI-related groups, organisations and initiatives. Okay. So we have an EDI charter. Yes. We have ethnicity and race in rail. Yeah. We have journey, which is LGBTQ+. Mm-hmm. We have Muslims in rail. We have rail unites for inclusion. Roots into rail, women in rail, women in transport, YRP. There is a sector of our society that are not covered there. And there is that sector of society who feel in some cases that they are now being pushed out and that is white men exactly i remember last time i was in this building i think it was last year when we did the rail forum edi event um there was a gent that stood up and said i am beginning to feel excluded and he was a white male around about the age of 50 and i think i remember saying at that stage to be inclusive we cannot be exclusive women in rail aren't just open to women which I find brilliant. I did a, a recent Women in Rail event in Scotland, um, Scottish Parliament. Quite a, a high number of, of men attended, which was brilliant to see. Muslims in Rail have done some brilliant stuff, um, inviting people as part of the Ramadan celebrations um, to come and break their fast at um, local mosques across the network, which I think, again, is mm. absolutely fantastic. Rail Unites for Inclusion are doing some brilliant work. Um, that does continue to grow. I'm actually on the exact panel for that. Um, so hopefully we'll be driving it more and more and more. And and for me, Rail Unites for Inclusion is probably the best title 
because it doesn't alienate anybody and that's the title you know and and kind of when you when you think back say a hundred probably not even a hundred years ago actually you know we we would sit there now and go what do you mean it's a men only club or what do you mean that you know it's a golf club where only men can join and that would be ridiculous i think there is a real danger with some of the groups that that are being established now that it's almost seen as being well it's everybody apart from you yeah so irp possibly are a little bit restrictive but again these there's other avenues you can get into with the irp so irp young rail professionals you are either young in rail or within the first 10 years of your 10 years of your career okay. within rail however they do need people like us that will go and chair local networks, that will go and be keynote speakers. There's still ways you can get involved. A little bit restrictive. Maybe they need to open the doors a little bit as, as to how others can get involved. Yeah. Widen the parameters. Yeah. yeah. So I, I personally see that that is part of the challenge moving forward. Now, an, another thing that I wanted to just raise, and this is something that Tracy and I were speaking about separately last week, and we don't need to go through those WhatsApp messages. Um <laughs> Is, no, we don't. No, we don't. They usually involve champagne or wine. <laughs> but we we were talking about the fact that there is a real focus on EDI yeah. rail at the moment. There's, and there's there's and there's lots of discussions, mm-hmm. lots and lots of discussions. Yes, and then some more discussions, and then maybe another panel session, and then maybe another discussion. And what are we doing? How are we moving it from, let's get the data, let's get the data and look at the data, let's talk about the data. How do we move it forward so that it isn't just about everybody sitting around and talking about it and, and groups thinking, oh my goodness, we need to run an event on EDI. Yeah. We, we need to tick that box. We need to be seen to be doing something. Yeah. Um, how does it move on to the next stage? And actually, because I've still got GBRTTs, website open up you know the whole purpose of gbrtt is that it's to be a guiding mind for the railways should this be something that a sector has one group focused on it or does it need all these different groups i think the groups help yeah because there was a drive from somewhere initially Mm -hmm. to ensure that we have a forward direction in terms of all things EDI. So taking our business, for instance, we started with a gender parity project many moons ago, which then led, which I was part of, and really grateful to be invited into that party. Then it moved to me setting up our proud network and giving others the opportunity to think about their own potential networks. Mm -hmm, And those networks have obviously grown, but there's always been the understanding that there's an overarching umbrella in terms of inclusivity, again, your common thread, and then the collaboration between them. So there has to be a starting point. I think there has to be a starting point. That's So you've seen the action developments along the way but it almost gets to a point of stalemate until you've got yeah. an, a real push from the wider organisation or the industry and makes it this is a definite so over the years 
we have seen a change to our values, for instance, within mm-hmm. Shoesmiths, and one of ours is being yourselves, yep. which is great, absolutely fundamental to ensure everyone can be their true selves to come to work. That is recognised. But then you also need to go further than that. There's always a next stage, so it has yep. to be built into our objectives, yep. performance objectives, etc. So, again, it continues. But I think in terms of, like, you're recording your levels of diversity your stats what happens then yeah are they constantly looked at where's where's the check and balance piece and that's i think where we come to a bit of like a stalemate position it's tiring as well isn't it to keep on pushing this agenda it really is and i i un- has to be done yeah but then it's only done by certain individuals yeah and the the biggest difficulty for me as being an employment lawyer and seeing it within other organisations, but also leading the way alongside others, is that it it just comes to a slow pace sometimes and then you're just like, real drive again. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get there. But it's <laughs> difficult. It's so we'll difficult. get there. We will get there. And I think GBRTT are doing some, some great stuff and I do think, and as Michael said, that we do need that overarching lead on it, that other networks feed into so that we have an inclusion network that i inherited that it was made up of the inclusion network and then these other groups dependent on demographics were sort of enforced there was no terms of reference as to what the group had to to, to deliver no meaningful conversations and one of the first things that myself and craig did when we joined um our new roles at lnr was right okay let's bring them all back together these subgroups aren't working let's bring everybody back together and then naturally the subgroups will develop and, and grow and the meaningful conversations will happen. And we've seen some brilliant stuff in the just under five months that we've been running the Inclusion Network, mm-hmm. meaningful conversations. We've got a Jewish celebration going on for colleagues um, this afternoon at King's Cross um, with some Jewish foods for, I believe, the celebration is Yom Kippur. That's led by one of our Jewish colleagues. We had a live Teams talk yesterday about why inclusion matters to, to us. Um and it's all led by the network. It's the network telling us what they think we need to be delivering. Mm-hmm. So, okay, give us the ideas. Tell us what you're going to put into it and we will help you deliver it. We'll do the the policy stuff behind it, but we will help you yeah. 100% deliver it. Yeah. And it's working. And there'll always be certain people that want to learn. Yes. There will always be a certain percentage, yeah. percentage of an organisation industry that can't learn mm-hmm. anymore or doesn't want to yeah. learn. So the people that attend these training sessions or live webinars, they have an interest yeah. in themselves. It's getting that other chunk of the population yeah. Yeah. to attend those yeah. live webinars, to learn, to be educated, just to broaden their uh-huh. horizons, which is the biggest difficulty. I think for that group of people, and I've, I'm talking from a little bit of experience here, so obviously my HR career, I've been in HR for about 20 years. I've dealt with all manner of grievances, disciplines, um, informal chats, formal chats. And one that really sticks in my mind was a young female driver who um, identified as, as being gay, was living with her girlfriend and felt like she was being persistently picked on by the same gent. It was getting to a, a grievance and I wanted to resolve it informally. So we, we offered some mediation and it was sitting that gent with the, the young girl and him actually witnessing how his comments had made her feel Mm -hmm. and how she reacted in that room to him that made him ask for an adjournment so he could go and compose himself and then come back and apologise. 
Well, the, the one thing that sticks in my mind with him was that he came back and said, all I could see there was my little girl. And I just sat there and went, and that is why I wanted you to sit in this room with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I needed you to see on a personal level what you were doing to that young lady. And I think that that's it's going to be hard to do across industry, but for that group of people that are digging the heels in and saying, no, we've not got an issue, there's nothing we need to do, I don't need to change, we personalise it. We let them look and say, well, if this is your son, daughter, granddaughter, grandson, anybody in your family, how would you feel if they were being made to feel uncomfortable at work every single day? Mm-hmm. And stories are important. Absolutely, they are, yes. Yes. They are, they've been, and, and they've been used when you look at things like domestic violence yep. awareness, haven't mm-hmm. they? I mean, it, it feels from, from listening to you guys, it almost feels, I'm going to completely oversimplify, <laughs> as is my want to do. It feels to me like there's three, kind of three heads to EDI. The first is the recruitment piece and, yep. and, and what we do about that. The second bit is the giving people within an organisation the freedom to be themselves. It sounds like Shoesmiths and LNER's um, values align very much. Yeah. You know, you can be your true self at work. Yeah. And then the third arm is that education piece, yes. isn't it? It is It is that what are the right terms to use? It is that don't be afraid if you say something that you feel like you shouldn't do or you put your foot in it or, or this, that and the other. There's a big difference to that and bullying somebody yeah. or victimising somebody. But I think that, that it's that education piece, isn't it? There's those three strands. Yeah, it's if, if somebody says to you, I don't like that word, that's not a turn of phrase you should use, use anymore, and you don't understand why, ask. Mm-hmm. Let them explain, absorb it, and don't use it again. My girls, I say this regular on our chats, my girls say we'll have conversations with me and I'll we'll be chatting about all sorts of different things and one of them will go, you're not allowed to say that anymore, Mum. I'm like, oh, okay, since when and why? And when they've sat and explained why, that word then comes out of my, it disappears from my vocab. I don't use it anymore. I'm lucky because I have a very open relationship with my two children. Not everybody does. Mm. But education comes from the younger generation telling us because they're the ones that are living and breathing and understanding what is and isn't acceptable now. To educate me, you, Mm. white man, 55, my dad, for example, honestly, some of the phrases he will still come out with at 60, 65, 67. Sounds very like my dad. Yeah. And to hear like my nieces and nephews say to their granddad, yeah. you can't say that yeah. anymore. Yeah. Like, Spot on kids. Yeah. And it is lovely to learn from the young. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so something is going in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard that a lot, actually. I've heard that it's teenagers who are the ones that are teaching yeah, their parents. Yes. So... We do all of this great stuff and all of a sudden we've got fantastic policies when it comes to recruiting people. How do we avoid positive discrimination? And it was only a couple of years ago, wasn't it, that the RAF fell, fell. Yes. Yes. Um, just looking at the stats here that, you know, 161 candidates who were either women or from ethnic minority background were accelerated into training places ahead of other candidates. How do we avoid, and, and, and I have to say, it's something that I've always been very conscious of being a woman, not just in the rail sector, but also being in private practice of law, is I don't want to be a stat. Yeah. I don't want yeah. to be appointed to a board or to a position or taken onto something, mm-hmm. invited to speak at a panel or whatever it is, just because I make it look better from a stats point yeah. of view. How do we avoid that? 
So for me, from a, a, an employee experience perspective, it's concise succession planning. It's not looking at a team and going, well, Jeff's been here for 25 years, so it's his natural progression. It's looking at Jeff's ability against Joan's ability and Jason's ability and pulling them together and going, right, okay, let's red amber green you on an iron box grid or, or whatever tool you want to use. Right, you need to, to develop here, you need to develop there, you need to develop there. And before you know it, you've got three people that are successors for that one vacancy that you're going to have coming up in five, six years' time. Doing that means you're giving everybody the level playing field. They're all aware of where they're at. Yeah, they're all aware of where they're at on the, the training piece, what they need to do. And if they don't go away and do the training and continue to deliver, then obviously they'll become lower down on the succession plan. Mm-hmm. But it's that even playing field that, that we have to give to everybody. Yeah. Everybody in, rack them, red, amber, green them, Yeah, go from there. And you've got to remember that positive discrimination is unlawful. Yeah. And do that. So, um, but it's for the employer through that recruitment yeah. process is where it generally arises, mm-hmm. positive discrimination. You've got to have like the equal footing, treat everyone exactly the same through that process. But yeah, I've never wanted to be a stat either, Michelle. Sure. And um, do I consider myself a stat sometimes? Yeah, of course I do. Um, but at the same time, I know I've worked extremely hard, as have you. Yeah. Having a certain protected characteristic, which I previously saw as a barrier. Mm-hmm. And again, our charter says that sexual orientation or identity is never a barrier to success. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have that message somewhere within yeah. an organisation to really encourage mm. everyone yeah. through the whole spectrum of EDI um, to have the ability and the drive to go mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. But completely agree with what you're saying, Tracy, from that level playing field mm-hmm. perspective. It's great businesses being given KPIs to, to deliver and KPIs around EDI. Yes, they needed because it gives certain departments the, the focus of what they need to do to change, especially when you've got those departments that say, nah, there's nothing wrong with my team, and I'm all right, I've got no issues with EDI. You tend to find those are the departments that do have the issues with EDI. So yeah, the KPIs are needed, but don't just focus on delivering that KPI. Yeah. It's got to be right person for the job. And, and, and this this is the clear balance, and this is the, it's a tightrope, isn't it? Because yeah. Really, I can see how difficult it must be mm-hmm. So going right the way back to the start of this conversation, Tracy, when you were talking about the stats, yes. kind of go, oh, those stats are really low. Right, what can we do? I know, let's do a targeted approach. I can remember TFL doing a targeted approach to ethnic minorities yes. years ago. There was there was adverts all over the place. Um, you know, does that in itself then lead to positive discrimination because you do a recruitment drive aimed at yes. women or, or a certain ethnic group or what whatever it is? It's really, I can see how difficult it must be because on the one hand, good intentions need to get the stats up, yeah. but by doing so, are you then ignoring and then excluding yeah. another group of people? I can completely understand why, and, and it's quite ironic, isn't it, that 20 years ago, this would definitely not have been the case, but I can I can definitely see why there is, there is a group of potentially middle-aged white men who do feel out in the cold. Yeah at the moment and and so it's about making them understand that this isn't about this is about everybody wanting that level player field but it's also understanding the privilege that they've had historically yes so yeah and 
we we don't talk about privilege, but we all have our own privileges one way or another, don't we? Or not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's the power of privilege wheel, isn't there? So you can yeah. pinpoint where you're at on on the wheel. Mm-hmm. But they did have a privilege previously, yeah. and that's that's how things change. It's kind of cyclical in a way, isn't, isn't it? it? So um, yeah, we've got to ensure that there still remains that equal yeah. playing field for all, whatever job they're working yeah. towards or looking to apply for, et cetera. But that attraction piece comes in first. Yeah. Are people going to be attracted to an industry or to and then we can and then we can bring yeah. together the level playing field. And, and for me as well, I think there's a societal change. So if we go back twenty three years ago when I had Georgia, maternity leave was twelve weeks. Now it's it's twelve months. I mean that in itself is massive Going back to work when you've had a twelve-week-old baby, it's just one of the most horrific times. So society has realised that women who work and then go on to have babies are still valuable and still can return twelve months later. Yeah, and giving them that that opportunity and and parents as well, because we're looking at parental leaves, uh, yeah. the shared parental leave now as well as the yeah, and extended parental yeah. rights anyway. Yeah, it's a societal change as well as an industry change. I mean, we can't change what government wants to enforce can we but we can potentially lead the way by changing our internal policies to say well we do value you and this is what we're going to do for you to show that we value you Mm. okay final question for you both what do we look like in five years time maybe not just it well in two in (laughs) 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 but we won't talk about that (laughs) I'm not far behind. <laughs> I was just about to say, I look exactly the same. I'll just have a prayer surgeon on speed dials. This um, comes into play. <laughs> or me, not you. <laughs> well, we are talking about a balanced playing field here. Yeah. Um, right, in terms of EDLA as a whole, so inclusion as a whole, what, what does it look like in five years' time, both on the railway but then also in terms of wider society, what's kind of the, what direction are we all moving in? It's quite a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, for me, it is that even playing field. It really is that no matter who you are, how you identify, the colour of your skin, even the colour of your hair, I mean, the the amount of looks I get walking around London with this bright red hair just makes me triple. It really is that no matter how you identify, that there is always going to be an opportunity for you, both in industry and in the wider society. I'd love a society where everybody could walk down the street without fear of, of being abused, of be, having things thrown at them, um, just feeling safe more than anything. I was going to mention the word safe, yeah. actually, because I do feel, and again, looking around in society the younger generations, they're a lot more comfortable in themselves. Yeah. yeah. So much more comfortable um, from from an LGBT couple, yeah. for instance, to see those couples walk hand in hand down the road. I don't do that very often, but, um, but that's what was ingrained into my head many, many moons ago. So I think that psychological safety so much yeah. had a place yeah. for... The LGBT plus community, those of different race, nationality, mm-hmm. gen- the whole spectrum, there's a lot more psychological safety five years down the road. 
and I'm pleased to see that now anyway. But if that can continue in an upward trajectory, that is great. Which I think, yeah, it's it's how young people again, isn't it? They're the ones that are, are, are making the change and it, it's up to us as allies to make sure those changes continue and they, they converse across our older generations as well. And I think there will be so many more genuine allies as well. Yeah. There was statistics, and I can't remember them precisely off the top of my head, but um, I think it's about 67% of people say they are an ally. But when it comes to actually being an ally demonstrating demonstrating that they are a genuine true ally it's about 37 percent so i think those stats will naturally rise yeah and those genuine allies will be in place a lot more so in five years time see we're now coming to the end of this podcast and i've got the you know the theme tune to a very old coca-cola advert in my head now um i'm sorry you did that which uh, children of the future oh wow (laughs) hopefully that's now an earworm for everybody probably (laughs) i think there's two things i want to do to end this podcast the first is and we always knew that this was going to be the case we are inevitably going to have said some things today that not everybody is going to agree with yes so what i am going to suggest is that if people do have comments or discussion points they let us know yeah and um, we can do another one of these so that we can discuss them and we can discuss the points that have been raised and you know if there's an angle that we haven't looked at that people would like us to look at and would yeah. like our thoughts on then then we can definitely definitely do that why you know why, why shouldn't we write to reply and all of that I'm going to pass over to you guys for your final final thoughts anything else you want to say so i will say whatever the future of the rail industry and wherever it takes us there is going to be a job for everybody no matter what and i think that is a great great comment there tracy but um things are bright a lot brighter than they used to be and let's continue that upward trajectory fantastic thank you very much thank you very much